Hey everyone, Rob here, and what you're about to hear is one of the final episodes of the Crooked Table podcast. Don't worry, I'm not going anywhere, but the show in its current form is coming to an end. Still, from the ashes of the Crooked Table podcast will rise the era of Crooked Table Productions. Starting this summer, we'll be launching three brand new shows. These include Showstoppers, a seasonal show spotlighting two actors. In this first season, my lovely wife Kai and I will shine a light on the careers of Jim Carrey and Drew Barrymore. Franchise Detours, wherein a guest and I will discuss the many twists and turns of a popular movie series, including our upcoming mega series on the Child's Play movies. And finally, this feed will transform into Close Watch with Robert Yanis Jr., in which I get to know a guest through the prism of a movie they love. But that's all coming up. For now, let's listen in for one of the final times to the Crooked Table Podcast. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, Philip Boone of Sports Flicks Just Give Us Clicks joins the show to discuss the 1993 sports drama Rudy. Admittedly, sports movies had never really been a genre of choice for me, but I had a great time digging into this classic entry into the genre, and more importantly, getting a glimpse into why this true underdog story, sorry Ben Stiller, was such a favorite for Philip. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. On this episode, we are talking Rudy from 1993, and I'm honored to welcome to the show, Philip Boone. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, Philip. I'm excited to be here. So tell people a little bit about yourself, about sports flicks, just give us clicks, and uh, and what led you to the table. Yeah, um, I started a podcast with five of my really good friends, and it's called Sports Flicks, Just Give Us Clicks. We started back in January, and we decided, let's just start a podcast, because we all love sports movies. So let's start a podcast and see how long it can go, because... You probably know with podcasting, it could be a month, a couple months. It could last a long time. We weren't sure exactly how it would go, but we decided let's go ahead and do it. So we started this podcast. It's called Sports Flicks. Just give us clicks. And flicks and clicks are spelled F-L-I-X and C-L-I-X. And we started it back in January. And we the first one we did was Celtic Pride. And we're doing, and the, then the second movie was Happy Gilmore. And so we did, we do one movie a month. And then in between, we do two mini episodes where we just discuss random topics. So our first mini episode was called, what, sports, what songs would you like to see be in a sports movie in the year 2021? And we just discuss what songs would fit into a sports movie. So we decided to do that and it's going really well and we're having a good time. We're all friends from college. So we basically, it's basically an excuse for us to get together and talk and record and then let the podcast go. And I found this podcast, the Crooked Table podcast, because I'm a huge Weird Al fan. And I found the episode about UHF because I listened to the Beard Al podcast and I found the UHF one with Lauren Carey from the Beard Owl podcast, and I decided I'll go ahead and give this one a listen. So I listened to UHF, and then after that, I listened to 10 or 15 different episodes that you've done in the past. Oh, wow. And I, no, yeah, and I, well, I, I picked the movies that I already know and I already love because those are, so I didn't have to watch a bunch of new movies in a row. And 
enjoyed them and just randomly tagged you and said, Hey, I'm just trying to figure out how, how you can be on this podcast. <laughs> I was and not expecting. I was like, I'm not that hard to reach. <laughs> I, I was not expecting you to actually respond. So, so whenever that happened, I was like, awesome. Um, but yeah, so we, um, so it's a, a lot of fun and I absolutely love sports movies. And today we're going to be talking about my all time favorite sports movies. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to this. I'm curious about what your background is with sports. Were you an athlete in college? Or are you just a big fan? Like, why sports movies specifically? I mean, I've always been a huge sports fan. I lo- enjoy playing basketball, but I never played um, on a team or um, as a team in a team sport. But I love the competition, and my favorite sports are football basketball and baseball. So I love those movies, especially surrounding those particular sports. And a lot of it with sports movies to me is nostalgia. And mm-hmm. that's really how we that's really how we look back on movies in general is a lot of times nostalgia. I am going to actually bring up one of your old podcasts um, where you discussed um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I had which a feeling of, that was the one you were going to bring up because I feel like that is, was the most nostalgia-heavy one I've done. Yes, which is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. Um, yeah. But you discussed one of my favorite sports movies that I will go ahead and tell you is not a good movie. And it's Space Jam. Mm, and yeah. you brought up Space Jam, and that is not a good movie. I, I will subjectively say it's probably, if I was looking at it objectively, it's not that good of a movie. But it's one of my favorite movies because that's the time I got into basketball was right around the Michael Jordan coming back to the Bulls and all that stuff. So Space Jam is probably one of my top five sports movies. So I um, and a lot of it is nostalgic based, just like whenever we see movies, we always think about the first time we saw it, (laughs) where we were in life. Um, And some movies we love, not necessarily because they're good movies, but because of where we were in our life when we watched the movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. one of those movies. That's one of those movies for me. And a lot of, sp- a lot of movies are a lot of sports movies are like that. Mighty ducks is another one. I'm not a hockey fan, but I remember watching that for the first time in theaters and loving the mighty ducks series. Um, so I love sport sports movies. I love this, a good story of an underdog. And that's what the majority of sports movies are because mm-hmm. they're underdog stories. You could either have, and really they're put into a couple type, a couple groups. You could have a ragtag group of misfits coming together and beating the top team like the Mighty Ducks or Little Giants. And those are usually the children's movies for children. Right. You could have a, a team not expected to win, trying to pull together to beat a common enemy, which could be major league. Or remember the Titans when they're coming. The one I was thinking of when you said it, yeah. (laughs) When they're coming from different backgrounds and they're beating a common enemy, which really is racism when you get right down to it. That's the Mm -hmm. common enemy and remember the Titans. And then you could have the individual might overcome the odds to make the team or to become great, like in Rocky or Rudy. And And as a country, we love under a good underdog story, which is why March Madness when we talk about basketball is so exciting because it's all about underdogs. 
the first couple of the first couple of weekends or really the first weekend of March Madness is by far my favorite because that's when all the upsets happen with a 15 seed beating a two seed or however you want to do it. So, and as a country, we love a good underdog story, which is what the majority of sports movies are. Mm-hmm. So, so I've always yeah. really gravitated to them. Yeah, no, I, well, to get back to your first point, I, I a hundred percent agree with you about nostalgia. There's a lot, a lot of movies that I, that I've seen many times and own even including space jam that I would not call good movies just cause I'm like, well, you know, it's got a, it's kind of grandfathered in because I saw yes. it at a certain age, but if I were to see it now, I'd be like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but as a kid, yeah, Looney Tunes and, and Michael Jordan, come on. Yes. And, oh. and I will, and I will, I will defend them until, until the day I die. Like I will defend Space Jam as a great movie and give you all these reasons why it's ama- an amazing film, Oscar worthy performance, because I love it so much. <laughs> when Really in the back of my head, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Right. No, there's a uh, there's a great YouTube video, which I cannot remember what the name of the YouTube channel is right offhand, but where they do a deep dive into Space Jam and like try and break down the logic of it, which Mm -hmm. makes no sense. Like the Looney Tunes are on the TV, but in their own universe, but in the center of the Earth. And and the and the aliens are also cartoon like cartoon characters like it's just. It's such a trippy movie to view from like any kind of practical lens. It doesn't have, it's the opposite. And I think this is probably why it came up on the Roger Rabbit episode. It's the opposite of the world building that they did in Roger Rabbit. It's just like, we don't know. They're there. I don't know. They end up in the real world. I will say, and one of my really good friends, Kyle, he actually brought this to my attention with Space Jam. And obviously, all of a sudden, we're talking about Space Jam. That's not why I came on here, but here you go. Um, (laughs) Is that Marvin the Martian? is the referee and yeah. he's the per- he's the perfect referee because he is both alien and um and looney tune right so he's the yeah. perfect referee the unbiased one of the group and so there's layers that you just don't even know are there <laughs> exactly <laughs> um no i love that and as far as just sports movies in general i mean i i don't really follow sports i've never really been athletic but I think to me, what makes a, a sports movie sort of transcendent of its genre and, the, you know, I feel like the great ones all are all sort of the sport is metaphorical for mm-hmm. some deep, deeper theme. So in here, it's kind of just proving that you can accomplish more than, you know, than people think you can. Like that, you know, um, like you were saying, remember the Titans racism or in the Rocky movies the fact that you know the ring is a metaphor for life and every time you get knocked mm-hmm. down you got to get back up and keep hitting and and Definitely. that's that's sort of what i think makes those movies compelling is that even if you don't care about the the, the sports per se you're invested in the character beats and in in mm-hmm. the emotional journey and i think that's that is uh, that is definitely another aspect in which Rudy excels and yeah. getting to your other point where you're talking about when you first saw movies when did you first see Rudy? What was your first exposure to this film when it came out in 1993 or more recently? It was probably when I was in high school, maybe middle school. I was born in 1983. Oh, me too. So, yeah. Well, it was a good year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so it was probably like 97-ish, um, which would have been when I was in middle school, um, to a couple years after that, around 97 to 98, 99 time. And the first time I saw it, I think it was just on TV. 
and I watched it and was enthralled in the story, in the music. The I feel like the for this it just catches caught me right my attention right away. I feel like the unsung hero is the soundtrack, the score mm-hmm. to Rudy. Yeah, I made a note of that. <laughs> I, I figured that's the first thing that I put was when the score I feel, which is by Jerry Goldsmith is amazing. And it's really kind of surrounds two different, um, two different themes. It has the main thing that and then the tryout theme later, which is the, da, 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 the, the more faster. And it kind of goes around those and those just fill me with so much emotion. I find them to be so emotional. Whenever I was in, whenever I was in college, I would actually study to the soundtrack of Rudy. And that's how I would study because I needed music as I studied for, for my classes. And I put that on and it's music that I can't, I don't sing to necessarily. And it, I felt that it helped me study as well. And so that that soundtrack, really that soundtrack and the soundtrack to Rocketeer, the main the main song in the Rocketeer, mm-hmm. which is also one of my favorite movies um, from that time because of the whole nostalgia aspect. Right. Of course. Um, and the main thing to that song, those are the two movies that I go to when I go to great themes when I throw out the star when I throw out the obvious answers right all <laughs> the, the star john wars williams, yeah, yeah all the john williams when I throw him out then it's rudy and the rocketeer but i f- just found it and loved it and then from then on it became easily in my top 3 movies which is it's right behind singing in the rain is number 1 on my list great movie and princess bride is number 2 Nice. And then Rudy's right behind it as wow, my top three movies. That's that's and intense. That's intense competition for Rudy. Yes. Like, once well, again, really, he's the underdog. He is. He is. And really, I could put, because I'm a huge, as I just throw out random movies, I'm a huge Gene Kelly fan with Singing mm-hmm. in the Rain and An American in Paris. So I could probably put a few of his movies up there, but I'm going to let, I'm going to let Rudy take their spot. <laughs> Give the underdog the third on my list. Gene Kelly throwing his all his other movies, yeah. the jerseys of his other movies on the coach's desk there. Yes. I want yes. Rudy to go over my place. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with you as far as the music is concerned, because that's something I like literally right before this call, I was kind of just getting my notes together and getting my thoughts ready for, for this episode. And I went on Spotify to be like, do they have the score? I'm like, I marked that down so I can listen to that tomorrow while I'm working or something. Because <laughs> um, that's 100% something I, I do all the time. So I, I 100% feel you there. I think the, the interesting thing with this movie is that it came out October 15, 1993, and it only made like 22 million domestically uh, mm-hmm. against a budget of 12. So it was a hit, but it wasn't like a huge blockbuster. It wasn't a Rocky, for example, or anything like that by any stretch of the imagination, even though it came from the director and the writer of Hoosiers, mm-hmm. which I, I, what are your thoughts on Hoosiers, I guess, real fast? It's interesting because I actually had not seen Hoosiers until about five years ago. And that's which someone who loves sports movies, you thought I would have seen it way before that because it's right. thought of at so highly. And I enjoyed it. It's hard because Hoosiers is one of those movies that is so well thought of and is so up there in the upper echelon of sports movies 
that I had a lot of expectations going into it. <laughs> so I didn't actually enjoy it as much as I thought I would because my expectations were so huge. Mm-hmm. No, that but, makes sense. I, I think that happens a lot when you go back and look at classic movies. And it's funny because Jerry Goldsmith did the score to that one too. And he got an Oscar nomination for that score. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, not only the reputation that precedes it, but the the whole inspirational based on a true story sports movie. I mean, that's something that's been done so many times. We mentioned Remember the Titans earlier. There was a point where Disney itself was putting out at least one of those every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Invincible and uh, what's the other one? Miracle and Miracle. Like, the Rookie. And like they had every single year, like almost less, like, like clock, clockwork. Like, oh, it's September, October. Disney is putting out its sports drama now. And and I feel like Rudy is predates so much of that, that going, had you seen Rudy later, I wonder if that, you think that maybe you wouldn't have been as, as strongly attuned to it. Yeah, that is definitely a possibility. It's, it's harder for me to think about Rudy in that aspect because Rudy, while many people hold it in high esteem, isn't necessarily thought of in the same, in the same aspect as Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not quite up there. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know because also I feel like coming across movies in the age of Twitter and social media, you, you can, you kind of get a feeling of what they're about before you see them mm, and yeah. which you might've not in 96, 97. So, but I, I don't, I don't know if I would have had the, if I would have thought of it as highly as I do, but no, that's, that's a good question. Okay. Yeah. Disney, that's a very Disney thing to do. They're they're Disney other than the animated, um, the animated movies also has built its brand upon underdog stories or someone Mm -hmm. who's someone who is not, and really within their animated, a lot of their animated movies are the same way. And someone who, who goes above and beyond what anybody expects them to. Looking at Rudy now, taking it from a critical standpoint, what do you think uh, about Rudy specifically makes it stand out still for you among all those inspirational sports on a underdog stories that have been told since? To me, and we mentioned this earlier, it starts with the score. Um, mm-hmm. I've never found one since then that has that has the same impact on me and emotionally as the score of Rudy. And then also, I think a lot of it has to do with who's in it. Cause it has people in it before they are known like John Favreau as D Bob. Um, that, which was, I think three years before swingers. Um, and speaking of swingers, also Vince mm-hmm. Vaughn as Jamie. I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know he's in it, you'll miss it. Cause you can't really tell that it's Vince Vaughn. Um, I didn't know he was in it. And then we were watching it. My wife and I were watching it. uh, You know, neither of us had seen it. And we were just like, is that Vince Vaughn? And she was like, is that how they met? Like, is that how the road to swingers began? And I was like, I don't Maybe. I don't know. I I didn't get a chance to confirm, uh, to confirm or debunk that notion just Mm -hmm. yet. But yeah, yeah, that's, it's Sean Astin sort of in, it's like Sean Astin's mm -hmm. middle step between the the Goonies and uh, Lord of the Rings too. Yeah. And, Speaking of Sean Astin, there was one thing I was wanting to bring up. Sean Astin, you know how there's there's these Tim Curry memes that happen that you might see out there with Tim Curry, and it says you can tell somebody's age 
or no, they you can tell a lot about somebody by where they know Tim Curry from. Mm-hmm. And that's a meme because you might know him from Clue or um, Rocky Horror Picture Show or whatever. And that tells you about that one person. And I feel like the same thing with Sean Astin, except you can tell somebody's age range from where they know Sean Astin from. Because yeah. he was in good, it could be obviously with um, watching on DVD or on cable. It's or streaming. It's a little bit different than it could. It's not 100% accurate, but he was in Goonies in 85. And I've never actually seen Goonies. I saw it last year for like the first time. And I was just like, "Eh." if I had seen this as a kid, I would have been all over it. Like I was like the monster squad or something like that. And and I'm fairly certain. And I'm fairly certain I wouldn't like Goonies. Yeah. Or not that I wouldn't like it. I would. It's one of those that everybody talks highly about. Kind of like Hoosiers. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I'm afraid to watch Goonies because I don't think I'll like it as much as other people do. And then I'll have to admit that to people. <laughs> and I don't really, I don't really want to get in that conversation. But you have Goonies, which I think was 85. Rudy was 93. Lord of the Rings, 2001. And then Stranger Things in yeah. 2017. So there are four separate movies, four separate things that he's well known from. He's people know Sean Astin is in it. I mean, starting in season two of Stranger Things, so not at the very beginning, but people know he's in them, and they're all about ten to seventeen years apart, <laughs> or eight, yeah. I guess, starting with Goonies to Rudy. So I feel like if you ask somebody where do you know Sean Astin from, that'll kind of give you a, a thought process of where their age is. So Rudy for me was 93. I was 10 in 93, and I saw it a little bit later. But I feel like, so I feel like if somebody was born after 83 to, well, probably starting with 80 to around 90 or so, it's Rudy and just keep going from there. So Mm -hmm. that's a theory I have going. I haven't actually tested it out yet. And there's, there's, I think the, the big thing that a lot of those roles that you just mentioned have in common is that, that sense of uh, purity of spirit, that sense of mm-hmm. that, that earnestness that he brings. Like he, he, there were elements, there were scenes in Rudy where I, I, I was like, looked over to my wife and, and it said to her, it's, it's, it's like, he's going, it's like, Mr. Frodo, I'm going to play football for Notre Dame. Like he's so, yeah. you know, he's so, it's so Samwise Gamgee. And that's not a knock to him as an actor. That's just like, that's the kind of energy he brings to this, these roles is that that sort of steadfast, that like steady, mm-hmm. uh, you know, determined, focused, oh, loyal, yeah. like all the, all those positive attributes that he brings to Sam, he brings to to Rudy as well. And, and he, and he brings the stranger things that kind of like, mm-hmm. there's a certain innocence about him that makes you want to root for him more. And then you take John Aston and you put him among all these, you know, giant football players. You're like, Oh, give the guy a chance. <laughs> I mean, just inherently, you know, and then there's, then there's mm-hmm. the performance and the score and everything else going on. But I think that he's that's definitely, per- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. He's a perfect underdog. I mean, he's just, he fits so well with the, you can do it type yeah, of attitude. Yeah. <laughs> Come <Exactly>. on. <laughs> so definitely. But so going back to your question, really just for me, it's a lot of the actors because it's fun to see actors in, in, a, in a movie before they were so well known. Favreau and Vince Vaughn and even Sean Astin. He had been in Goonies, but 
I don't know how still how well he was, how well known he was by the time he was in Rudy. And then I feel like after Lord of the Rings, everybody knew who he was. Um, so to me, it's a lot of what the actors that were in there and just the camaraderie between the actors. I really felt that Rudy and Debob had a friendship. Mm-hmm. And and I and personally I want everybody to have a friend like Pete. Everybody needs a friend like his friend from childhood, Pete, who basically is the only person that believed in him from an early age. <laughs> right. So just to me, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot about friendship, which a lot of sports movies are. But this movie, just the friendships were so woven in, in my opinion, that it's just and it's it's nice to see how well he was he was liked by these people and the friendships that he had and i find it to be just and i mentioned it i've mentioned it five million times i think the rudy wouldn't be as highly thought of in my opinion if it wasn't for the soundtrack Mm -hmm. i think that i think that's what makes the movie as a notch above um, which is really how a lot of movies are. I mean, sports or Star Wars would not be the same <laughs> without the music oh that goes yeah. with it. I mean, so, every I mean, Lucas has said that, and Mark Hamill, I think, tweeted it out recently on John yeah. Lena's birthday. He's like, yes. he takes like at least fifty percent credit for what why these movies work yeah. at all. So any great any movie with a great soundtrack wouldn't be even close to the same. Imagine Jaws without the duh. Without the music that goes with it, or Indiana Jones without that, or I'm just gonna keep going with John Williams. Back to the Home future. Alone, <laughs> Back to the Future, Home Alone, even with yeah. without that music. So a lot of it is the music because I feel it would not be near as impact impacting on me if it weren't for the soundtrack. Yeah, it's the music. It's it's Sean Astin himself, and it, and mm-hmm. like you said, it's the tapestry of supporting players that we get in here. When I first saw John Favreau in this, uh, I think I was just, I don't know, I was just, I was kind of expecting him to be sort of the the to mention Back to the Future, sort of the Biff character here. Like I mm-hmm. I didn't know he was going to be his friend because he had that moment where he's sort of like looking at him from across the room and like, uh oh, is this going to be the guy who's like, you're never going to play football here. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, and it went completely the other direction, which was which was refreshing uh, for me watching the movie uh, for the first time. But it's it's John Favreau, it's Ned Beatty as his dad, who obviously mm-hmm. is a great actor you know, in his own right, uh, and Charles S. Dutton and Robert Prosky, mm-hmm. like all these actors that I've seen in a million other things too. These kind of you know well known character actors, uh, especially from you know Robert Prosky was in. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, like the same year, and he's really great yes. in that. For example, Ned Beatty from Superman the movie, and like a million other things. And so it was, it was cool to see Rudy and in, in sort of all these different dynamics and all these people that uh, that believed in him and and or you know didn't uh, kind mm-hmm. of along the way, and how that all how that all fed his his motivation and sort of his inner conflict about like uh, you know those moments where he's doubting. He's like, well, I really want to do this, but am I good enough? You know, he has all those those conversations with the with the priest and with Fortune, where he's just, you know, is there anything? Did I do all I can? You know, and I really, I, I think that, again, going back to what I said earlier, I'm not athletic at all, but you, you relate to that. Like anything you're trying to do, any project or 
interest or passion you're pursuing, you're like, you can always have that nagging voice in the back of your head. Like, did I do enough? Did I, you know, am I not, is this, you know, is this something like his dad straight up tells him in one of the scenes that really like stood out to me where he's like, you know, Notre Dame, it's for, it's for rich kids. It's for, you know, it's for all these different people. It's not for us. And I, that's mm-hmm. the line that really stuck with me. And I wonder mm-hmm. how much hearing that, those four words specifically motivated Rudy being told, because, you know, it's human nature to, the second you're told something, you can't do something that you're like, well, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to try it. <laughs> yes. And so I, I really, I, how much of him having that conversation with his dad, do you think really pushed him that much harder to, to really prove them wrong? Yeah, I think it's all the naysayers. I, he's obviously someone who really starting really young whenever um, they kind of made fun of him when they were watching the Notre Dame game when he was a child. Yeah. And like making fun, you're, you're not going there. You're not going to play football for them. What are you talking about? So at least according to the movie, it started from a very early age. And I think that pushed him. And then one scene that I always forget about, and all, it always bothers me too, whenever I see his, I think it's his civics teacher, Mm. civics teacher um, on the bus whenever they're going on he basically says no you you can't go to Notre Dame which I can't imagine telling someone they can't visit the school and to have this dream to go to the school Um, so in my because I I, I'm not anymore but I was an elementary which isn't the same teacher for nine years and just the fact of saying I don't think you can do that (laughs) is just mind-blowing to me as a, a teacher Mm-hmm. And so that always gets to me as as well whenever. So he has his teachers when he's in high school saying you can't do this. He has the coach, his high school coach, who says, other than you, you, I can't remember the names, other than you, 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 everyone else, no, nobody else will play football again. None of the other seniors. He's, so he basically says, you five seniors have a chance to play football um, however, everyone else, this will be your last time to lace them up. So that's such a, that's such a, and that's such a small scene. Um, it's not him saying you can't do this, Rudy, but it's still a scene that tells him he can't play football at the next level. And then, and then you continue on through his dad, through Frank, who's always kind of nagging at him, telling him he can't do this. And, I think just all that builds up and until he, he he's like, F you, I, I'm good. I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to play football for Notre Dame. Even if I have to go to this private, private college or um, community college, I should say next, next door for two years, I'm going to work my butt off until I get in. So it's just the combination all the way from as a little child. I feel that he's, it just, I mean, some people, Whenever that happens, at some point, might give up, and Rudy never did. He just said, you know what, I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to prove all those doubters wrong. So, yeah, I think it's all of – it's his dad, it's um, Frank, it's his civics teacher, it's all these people. And I think the movie does a a really great job at – you know, obviously, you can have the teacher sort of just, like, callously be like, no, sorry, that's not for you. 
But mm-hmm. I, I think the, the really tricky one is his father, that you have mm-hmm. to toe the line and not make him sort of a one-dimensional, like, no, I don't believe in you, Rudy, you can't do it. That he's coming from a good place. Like, he's mm-hmm. he thinks he's 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 looking out for Rudy. He's like, no, it's, mm-hmm. it's too hard. You're not going to be able to do that. It's not meant for you. He's trying to, in a way, yeah. he's trying to protect his son from yep. failure, basically. Like it's, it's coming out of a, a place of love, uh, even mm-hmm. if it sounds like he's, in this, and I'm gonna share a term that my wife coined, even though he, he sounds like he's a dream assassin, that mm-hmm. he, um, it sounds like he's just kind of pushing Rudy off that path, but it, it's, it, it's seemingly coming out of a place of trying to, you know, to, to, to teach him what's best for him and, and look out for him. Yeah, and I mean, he has to be written as, a, as more sympathetic and right. and as as some because you can't have the audience hating the father the whole movie. Mm-hmm. You, you need you need him to you need to be able to and it, and that's kind of shows you how well it was written. You're you're right. Just yeah. so this this man does want what's best for Rudy, and he doesn't want Rudy to get hurt because he knows if Rudy is going to try for this dream and not make it, he's going to get crushed. And he doesn't want to see that happen. And Ned Beatty plays those scenes with, with in just the right moment, with just the right amount of mm-hmm. softness that you can tell that, mm-hmm. it, that it's not like a malicious Definitely. thing. It's not like Frank, who's clearly coming from a place of envy, was like, no, yeah. you can't do it. If I can't do it, what the hell? Why would you be able to do it? That you know, his father is is coming from a more compassionate place. And I think that, yeah, you need those, obviously, so so that when he does prove his father wrong, his father is impressed. We get that that uh, that beautiful scene at the steel mill where he's he goes on the intercom. And he's like, my son's going to Notre Dame. And he's so proud and sort yes. of taken aback that Rudy actually did it. I thought that there was a, there's a lot of really triumphant moments like that. Definitely. And I think you need that you need that bond between him and his father. Uh, that they, you know, they grew up again, going back to the nostalgia thing we were talking about with, with Space Jam, oddly enough, and with you watching Rudy, like he, he grew up watching these games with his dad, who his dad uh, is the biggest Notre Dame fan and he watches all the games. And it's like, a, it's a ritual for, for him to watch it with his father and his brothers. And so it's, it, it's his, his dream of playing for Notre Dame came from his dad in the first place. So it makes sense that he wanted to go all the way back around and prove to, you know, kind of get his father's acceptance and whatever and prove that he can, uh, that he can pull that off. Mm -hmm. And really the family dynamic to me is one of the more interesting parts of the movie because, and because you have his dad, which we mentioned, and then you have Frank, and then you have the other brother who dates his ex girlfriend <laughs> and you have yeah. these others that, that you don't really get you don't really get them um you don't really get a few of the others but you so you mainly have what you see is you have frank and his dad are the characters that you really see out of his family and one scene in particular has me thinking about the certain family dynamics which are interesting is when they're in the bar because when they're in the bar you frank's in there and then pete and rudy and then the dad's at the far end. But at the beginning, all you see is you see Rudy and Pete talking to each other. And then Frank butts in. And then and then the dad comes and says, doesn't anything ever change? Does, does it, what, 
doing all you're doing is fighting, which also shows you that their whole life they've been kind of at each other's throats. Yeah. Just he said, don't don't nothing ever change. And and one thing it's it's interesting to me because you don't even know the dad's there until he breaks up the fight. Yeah. And you don't even see him until you have no idea he's there. So I'm all I'm I want to know what happened whenever the, everybody got to the bar. Because if I ended up at a bar with my dad and I don't have a brother, but if, if I had, I have a sister a sis, and my sister and so forth, we wouldn't be away from each other that whole time. Like I'd be talking to my dad for a little bit. I, and, and I'd, I'd be more, I'd be communicating with them as opposed to in this particular scene where everybody's off by themselves. So obviously we don't see what happened at the beginning. We don't see if, the dad came in and Frank said, Hey dad, or, or any of that. Yeah. But I feel like that's an, that's a scene where you can kind of get the family dynamic where they will support each other, especially the dad, but they're not, if you want to say quote unquote, that close particularly while, even though they will support each other. And that scene I always find interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a kind of an inherent like a, just a built-in distance there mm-hmm. between between you know Rudy and his and his dad and Rudy and Frank, probably the uh, the dad and Frank as well as you were kind of alluding to. So yeah, that's it's um it's it's a, yeah I agree with you. The family thing is really interesting to me as well. Um, but what really impresses me about Rudy is that this thing is under under two hours, and I feel like they condense so much story. <laughs> And so many characters, you, there's a there's a real uh, breadth to the amount of the amount of lives that Rudy touches in this journey. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're talking about his family and his friends. He's also, like I said, Fortune, played by Charles S. Dutton, who he ends up working with uh, on the field in Notre Dame. And there's a whole backstory there where Fortune was a player for Notre Dame and quit, and uh, because of who's you know he was concerned of racism mm-hmm. and. And uh, it, it kind of motivates Rudy to rejoin the team at the very last second. And I, I love that, that sort of uh, mentor relationship that he has as well. Yes, I love Fortune. He's he just, whenever at the, at the very end, whenever Rudy's about to go on, go on the field and you see Fortune and he's clapping and he's there, he mm-hmm. promised that he would be there if he suited up. That's yep. another moment that gives me goosebumps. Right. Just watching, just watching him cheering him up. And you, you know, the whole movie, at least from the time Fortune enters, that he has Rudy's back. He's going to support him, whether it's what are you doing? You, you need to do better than that. What, whether it's that or just, I believe in you. Like he's, he's not always soft with him. (laughs) He, he tells him what he has to hear. But his character constantly supports him, giving the key so he can sleep in the maintenance um, room. What, what do you mean? I thought he didn't know anything. <laughs> and, and then denying it until the end of the movie, <laughs> saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, it, it's just, we talked about just friendship and re- that's another relationship that Rudy makes with someone. Absolutely. That he has somebody in his corner with him he's he's had throughout his whole life he's had so many people doubting him that it's nice to see these people coming out to support him and be in his corner for however long of his life 
they're in his life, but always supporting him. So he has that, and he had and he has one person one person supporting him throughout the whole movie. He never yeah. has a moment where there's nobody there who believes in him. Fortune and, becomes sort of the the surrogate Pete for the like yes, the rest definitely. of them, like the other two thirds of the movie. Definitely, definitely, and I just I love. I love I love that character, and it's just so well written. So someone who's kind of harsh, but you also know he might not admit it, but really cares for him, for Rudy, mm-hmm. and really probably even loves him, and as as a mentor would. And and, so and he does it, and he does it uh, as you were saying sort of earlier. Uh, so so uh, I don't know subtly. I mean he he. He Rudy asks Fortune to come if he if he suits up, like you said, mm-hmm. and or if he dresses, I guess. And uh, when he walks away, he's he 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 says at the very last second, you know, if you play, I'll be there. When you play, if you play, I guess I forget how he phrases it. But and that and we were talking earlier about how social media kind of you know what to expect from movies before you see them. I didn't even realize until as I was I was. I had just started the movie and I posted on Twitter that I was watching Rudy to prepare for this episode. And I saw the gif of, of Charles S. Dutton clapping. I was like, Oh my God, that's what that's from. (laughs) Just, just (laughs) discovering the gif in real time while I was watching Rudy. I was like, Oh, it all clicks. Now it's like when you watch an old show, an episode of something, you're like, that's that moment that I see in the Simpsons with Homer backing into the bushes or whatever it is. Um, Oh yeah. I, love finding out where actual where gifts come from and it happened to me recently i can't tell you i can't even tell you what gif it was but i remember yelling at the tv and saying that's what it is <laughs> so i love that moment <laughs> definitely but yeah he's a he's a great character um and i have some things speaking about fortune could be um with this particular movie that aren't actually real if if I would be if you would if you wouldn't mind me kind of discussing what I was I was going to ask you about the creative licenses that we're taking with the with the actual story of Rudy because I have a few things Rudy said that has said and I don't know when this was said it might have been said years ago that this movie is ninety two percent true that's what Rudy said I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably less than that. Because Rudy's brother Frank doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frank was a human symbol of the people that discouraged him throughout his life. So I think just Frank actually not existing is probably close closer to like 90%. Because that's, that's a big part of the movie, I feel, is him not supporting his brother. Fortune didn't actually exist. Which makes me sad because I love Fortune. Um, Rudy's father actually supported his son's dream to play at Notre Dame, so that's a little bit of a um, a little bit of a difference in the movie. Where in the movie he he kind of supported it, but also kind of laughed it off, not laughed it off, or discouraged him from pursuing it because he didn't want his dreams to be shaken. I feel I feel like. Rudy's father actually I feel like he did support it um, and didn't at the same time if that makes any sense at all (laughs) 
<laughs> I realized as I was saying that that might make not make any sense. <laughs> um, Rudy, well, this is a small thing. Rudy was actually only chanted after the sack on the play. So whenever they chanted Rudy, it wasn't before he entered the game. Okay. In real life, Dan Devine, who I feel like Dan Devine is kind of put as the quote-unquote villain in the movie because he's not going to let Rudy dress at the end of the game. And he's the coach who, he's the coach who comes in, who says, who basically says, no, you will not dress. What are, what are you talking about? So I feel like, especially near the end, he was kind of created as the villain. And actually, Dan Devine was, really, was very supportive of Rudy. He supported him throughout the whole thing. The, um, he, the last game, he was going to let every single person play. So in the movie, he kept saying no, no. When in fact he said he he went in expecting every single senior to play. Um, the jersey scene didn't happen with them laying their jerseys down, and Dan Devine has actually said that if it had happened, that he would have kicked those players that did that off of the team. Oh wow! Um, I'm not. Sh- I I I feel like that would that would depend on what players did it. Cause if you're in the, if you're in the race for a national title and your best five players say, let Rudy dress and lay their jerseys down. I don't think he's going to kick them off the team. So, so I don't know. I don't know how much I believe him in saying that. Um, let me see. And then some small ones like Rudy actually met Pete while working at the power plant. So they didn't meet as kids. So they weren't lifelong friends, but Pete um, dying on the job and that forcing Rudy to go to Notre Dame is true. So like that emotional impact, which made him decide I'm going to leave to go to South Bend did actually happen. Uh, Yeah. As far as adaptations go, it sounds, it sounds pretty, pretty straightforward. It's, it's a little bit of uh you know, a little bit of exaggeration, yeah. a little bit of kind of consolidating mm-hmm. some, yeah. some characters into, you know, into fewer and just kind of yeah. deepening uh, the mm-hmm. heightening the drama of certain scenes with the definitely. Characters. I was, I was going to say about the Jersey scene that, you know, that, that felt a little far fetched, you know, <laughs> a, a very movie moment uh, as it were. It was. That, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. And Sean Astin actually said, which I love this quote. Sean Astin said, it's not a hundred percent true, but the emotional response that Rudy creates in people, that's what's true. Right. And I, I think that's a perfect quote to go with the movie. It's not, you will rarely ever find a movie made about a, a real life person or a historical event. And not find creative licenses. There will be creative licensing throughout. Um, it's never going to be hundred percent true. So that's, you can go into any movie about that and just expect that. However, the emotional impact it has on you is true. Yeah. And I, and I thought, I thought that was a kind of an apt quote to go with it. Absolutely. No, I, I, 
I think as long as you kind of capture the essence of the mm-hmm. the real life story and the character that that's at the center of it, I think it's usually you know it's a successful adaptation. It, it I do feel kind of bad for Dan Devine in particular to be kind of done dirty like that. Rename yeah. the character or something. That's well, what you're gonna do. I yeah I had a, I had read and I don't know how accurate this particular part is, but I had read that he because he supported Rudy and he liked Rudy, he allowed his name. He allowed his character to become the villain. Okay. Like it was kind of, he let his character be the villain is what I've read. Um, so that's that if, if that's true, I don't know if that particular part's true. If that's true, that kind of gives puts him in a really good light that he, to help the movie out, he let his, and because he liked Rudy, he let his name kind of be sl- um, slung through the mud in the movie. <laughs> Yeah. No. Well, then, props to Dan Devine. That's true. I think there's there's a there's a quote from Roger Ebert in his review of this that I thought really kind of captured what I thought made this movie sort of stand out. He said that Rudy has a, a freshness and an earnestness that gets us involved, and by the end of the film, we accept Rudy's dream as more than simply sports sentiment. It's a small but powerful illustration of the human spirit. And I thought that's mm. again kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about how the universality of sports movies and how even if you don't care about the sports per se, you're invested in the person and and his or her journey. Uh, So in this movie, you know, Rudy sacrifices so much. He works so hard to overcome. It it really kind of breezes past the fact that he also has dyslexia and he Mm -hmm. he has to kind of deal with that in order, in, in, in order to uh, boost his grades and kind of be able to transfer to Notre Dame in the first place. And I want just an honest answer. Philip, would you have persisted through all of this? Because I'm not sure I would. I kind of admire Rudy in that respect. Oh, you gave an I'm not sure I would. I can give you a hell no. Okay. <laughs> I would I not. Being, I, was, I, I was hedging my bets because I didn't want you to like, <laughs> of course, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I would, I would have... I would have quit so quickly. I'm <laughs> impressed that he's like, that he keeps at it because I have no idea. I have no idea how basically you're, you, you're a human punching bag for two years yeah. <laughs> just so you can run out on the field that one game. Right. Is basically I'd be what like, it. Eh, maybe I should do something else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So maybe if, since he's on the field all the time, anyway, bring your own helmet, run across and have fortune, take a picture of you. There you go. <laughs> I would have totally done that. I would have said, you know what? We'll, we'll do that after my first practice. And then I quit. So, yeah, exactly. and you had mentioned about, it's not necessarily even the football aspect. So if you're not a sports fan, you can still enjoy the movie. Yeah. And I didn't count how many minutes football was actually a part of the movie. But I feel it's not, it doesn't have that many football scenes, I feel like. No, no, it, it has the game, the, the last game, and it has like a montage of like him in practice, maybe like a five minute montage of him right. in practice getting beaten up. That's and the biggest like, chunk of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's not that much football. It's mostly people supporting him, it's mostly him going to school, trying to get the grades to go to Notre Dame and the relationships around him more than it is football. Yeah. I Which is how I definitely accurate. Even, you know, even in the last game, it kept cutting to mm-hmm. his family in the stands mm-hmm. and, and everyone in the, you know, just kind of 
everyone watching. Yeah. Bob and, and his girlfriend and everyone just mm-hmm. the chants going catching on, the commentators. Mm-hmm. Like it was way more about everyone else and Rudy sitting on the bench mm-hmm. than it was the people on the actual field. Yes. And and actually behind his family in the stands is the real Rudy. Mm-hmm. If you live behind, I think behind the dad wearing like a green jacket is the actual Rudy um, right behind him. So that's an interesting an interesting part you can look for when you're watching that end scene. But you mentioned you mentioned D Bob and his girlfriend. And that's an interesting part for me as his girlfriend, because I feel like that part was the old trope of <laughs> she's ugly if she has glasses. Take the glasses off at the end and she's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. that's like no, the no, she's no, all that. <laughs> When they got to her, I'm like, oh, come on. She's not that bad. She just <laughs> yes. has glasses. It's like the, um, it's like, uh, the she's all that thing. That yeah, she's all that. Not another teen movie where they're like, oh, she's got glasses and a ponytail. And I'm like, oh, boy. But I was re-watching it um, this past weekend, and I got that. And, 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 they're, and they look at her like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this? And my first thought was, what are you guys talking about? And then, and then later in the movie, they show her again. She doesn't have the glasses, and he's shocked by how how pretty she is. Yeah, and exactly. it's it's just a very funny trope that '90s movies really like to do. Oh my gosh, yeah, '80s even too. I'd say yes. '80s and '90s. That was their thing. And I like to think we kind of left that mostly behind. I think, like I said, I think not another teen movie just like buried it, and then nobody will touch it again. I think so. So I'm glad we did that because as I was watching, I thought, okay, I need to talk about that because that's yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so um, you you mentioned the the real Rudy's cameo in it. Did you were you familiar with the real story? Be uh, probably not before you saw the movie, but like when did you kind of delve into that a little? It was probably within the last five years. Mm. I I mean it's so easy to just Google something nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, for sure. find an article about it. And that's kind of also where I got into what was actually true about the story or not. Because I'm inter- I'm always interested in the differences between real life and what they what they the the Hollywood version. So I got in I I looked into it and it's interesting because from everything I've read about the real Rudy. He's not necessarily the nicest person from what I've seen. Um, and obviously I have no, um, I have no really information necessarily to back it up, but it's, it, from what I've read, he, he was, he was so busy trying to, he basically in the eighties wanted his life to be a movie. He <laughs> kept trying to push it that maybe I shouldn't say he wasn't the nicest person, but he, anno- he, he was annoying people <laughs> trying to make his life into a movie um i think especially i, I think um in the rocky was in the 70s i think after rocky is what i had seen he's he, he had seen rocky and a couple of the sequels after that and thought my life needs to be a movie just like this because i have this amazing story that happened in the mid 70s that needs to be that needs to be said so I, I kind of went on a deep dive about three or four years ago, just into that and into his life and everything that goes with it. I mean, now I think he's written two books now. Um, he goes on motivational speak speeches. He does. He's a motivational speaker. And so he's um, continuing to tell 
his story, which I mean, to be fair, it's a very motivational type. I mean, it's a motivational movie. So I feel like going from that move, that movie being made to becoming a motivational speaker is pretty easy, <laughs> easily yeah. to easy yeah. to do. Not a big leap. Exactly. No. So, but it's, it's, it's interesting to read about and to see exactly how it was. I also um, found out that Joe Montana was actually on that team as well. Who was the, Oh wow. And you know, he won the Super Bowl for the 49ers in the eighties and so forth. He was a freshman on that squad. Cause he, I think his senior year was 79 for Notre oh, Dame. But, so he's come out and talked about it. He's kind of poo pooed um, a lot of what happened in the story as well, which I mean, which I think is what one thing that made Sean Aston come out and say, okay, it's not all true, but the emotional response is we did the best we could Joe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We have to make Rudy likable. Nobody wants to see him. Yes. I mean, probably. it might have been, been that Montana was just upset that he wasn't in the movie. That, that he, so there wasn't a character named Joe Montana in the movie. So that might have been what he was upset about. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, uh, so, Philip, before we start winding down, is there anything about Rudy that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we brought up? <sighs> I don't think so. I mean, I wrote, I wrote down just all the random moments that I got goosebumps and got excited oh, because, so many of them, yeah. because there's so many. I was like, okay, there's one. I mean, just him reading his acceptance letter with the music crescendoing, yep. and then and then him crying as he's sitting on the bench. Just ah, oh, it's amazing. Um, there, there's one moment where there's one moment that always makes me laugh when, and it's ridiculous why it always makes me laugh, but in the walker room, right at the end of the movie, right before they got on the field, um, Rudy says, I wish you could be there. Or I wish you could be out there with me to, um, I can't remember his name. Yeah. The, the other guy, to, his to, the, the, to the guy who's basically the guy who said he was a legacy and he, yep. and, and he couldn't leave the team. And all he says is, I know. And then it cuts to the crowd. And I don't know why just, cause I feel like just him saying, I know. And then cutting to the crowd is just a quick cut. That it always makes me laugh. And I have no idea why. <laughs> cause he just says, I wish you could be out there with me. I know. And then, yeah. And I don't know why, but that just those two lines. I feel like that's such a short thing for him to say before you <laughs> cut away from it. I think, um, I think it probably makes you laugh because the movie kind of half-heartedly explores that guy as a character to the point that we mm-hmm. don't remember that character's name. And I think, we, you know, we were saying earlier how the movie started, sort of masterfully, masterfully uh, incorporates all these different characters, friends and family and mentors and stuff that, that Rudy and critics that Rudy uh, encounters along the way. And then in the last half hour, attacks that guy in there. And we're supposed to be like, we're supposed to feel something in that moment. And just, I think feel like the movie is just like, I wish you could be there with me. I know. Okay. We're done. With the one. And that's why it just, yeah, that, that's probably that probably is why, like, it, the movie doesn't even care. It doesn't even know if it wants us to care. He does feel like a tacked on character. Cause yeah. I have no, I could not tell you his name. And even right after the movie, I was like, okay, what was that guy's name? He's a legacy. He isn't going to play ever. I have no idea. So, so it seems like the movie just kind of cares about him, but not exactly. Enough so. to acknowledge him, but not enough to, to, yeah, to explore him to any real 
uh, any real depth to that character. Yeah, yes. it's, yeah. it's weird. It, it's like they it's like they tried to cram one too many supporting characters in there at that point. Definitely. Um, I would say if I was Georgia Tech at the end of the game, I did write this down. If I was Georgia Tech at the end of the game, and and you're already losing by 17 points, and I don't care the reason that they decide to throw a bomb to the end zone, I would have been mad. Because I, I would have, I would, if I was Georgia Tech in that game, I would have said, "Why are you running up the score?" I'm, I'm sorry. Put Rudy in on offense. I mean, put him. He doesn't play offense. Just throw him. You're gonna win anyways. Throw him out there as a wide receiver and just let him hang out. Yeah, he just wants to be on the field. It's, it's so, in the actual game. It's so I would, I would have been mad with them throwing to the end zone when you're already winning by a couple scores. <laughs> so right. that was another thought I had as well. But not, I got nothing else. I just love this movie so much. Um, Rudy makes that last tackle at the end of the game, and I'm all, I always smile like an idiot. I'm just smiling on my couch, just ex- happy for life, <laughs> happy to see Rudy succeed. And um, it's one of those movies next to the other two singing in the rain and princess bride that if i'm sick if i'm home and it's bad weather and i'm just staying in that i will put on and just spend spend an hour and a half a couple hours just enjoying it and being in the whole under underdog mood and loving every minute of it until my four-year-old and two-year-old come in and want to play I have a four-year-old too. I know how that goes. (laughs) Until they show up and say, "Hey, we don't want to watch this. We want to watch Bluey or Daniel Tiger or something." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I know it has a certain. I could see it totally working as a as a comfort movie, and Mm -hmm. and it's so wholesome and and sweet, and you know it's got that PG rating, and it's Mm -hmm. it's it's accessible enough that you could emotionally get invested in it as an adult. But if your four-year-old wanted to sit and watch it, it's like not that there's mm-hmm. anything particularly objectionable either, either, you know? And I think that that makes that message Definitely. that much more accessible to audiences of all ages. Definitely, definitely. It's it's. I just love it so much, and I was super excited that you you said, "Hey, come on here and talk about it," and I jumped yeah, at the opportunity. Absolutely, Philip. Can you tell people? where they can find you and your podcast on uh, online. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Philip with one L P H I L I P underscore Boone B O O N E at, um, or yeah, at Philip underscore Boone. I almost gave you my email. That's not what you want. (laughs) And, um, and at sports flicks clicks. So it's at sports S P S P O R T S. F-L-I-X-C-L-I-X. And um, go ahead and follow. We just we just um, started the Twitter account. So we have a grand total of six followers. You can be number seven or number eight if you want to be. Um, and, and the podcast is sport, sports, um, sports Flicks. Just give us clicks. Remember, it's F-L-I-X and C-L-I-X. And we can be found wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple on Spotify, on Google Play, on Player FM, which not not which is kind of a niche a niche um, podcast app, but yeah, wherever you get a podcast, look us up. We 
we did um, we did one like I mentioned at the beginning. Our first movie was Celtic Pride, which I had never seen before. Which has Dan Aykroyd and um, Daniel Stern and Damon Wayans, and from from obviously it's, it sounds like a mid '90s movie because it is. Yeah. Um, so we did that one, and then our first mini episode was over um, what songs do you want to be in a sports movie in 2021? And I don't really necessarily listen to that much music, current music, other than like. Well, I listen to like 60s, like the Beatles and the Monkees and all that stuff. And then go back 50s and 40s to Sinatra and Dean Martin. I love all that type of music. And also Weird Al, like I mentioned. So if you listen to that mini episode, I give a whole plot of a Weird Al sports movie. So definitely go check that out to hear my ramblings about what a, a sports movie starring Weird Al would look like as someone who's in his 60s and yeah so we, we've got a lot of fun things going our um our second full movie review is happy gilmore and one of us pick a movie each time so in june i'm picking the movie to talk about that'll be released in july my movie i've already decided is space jam so if you want to hear Ooh, more my rambling content my, if you're a huge Space Jam fan like I am, and you want to just if you want to hear a bunch of ramblings about Space Jam, <laughs> listen to that July episode. <laughs> but yeah, definitely check awesome. his stuff. Well, thank you, Philip, so much for coming on the show. This was a blast, and we'll we'll definitely have you back on at some point. It was fun. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. That was our chat about Rudy. Big thanks to Philip Boone for bringing one of the most beloved sports dramas of all time to the table. We had such a fun conversation talking about this movie. And, and be sure to check out his show, Sports Flicks, Just Give Us Clicks, for more sports movie chats like this one and their brand new one about Space Jam. Definitely interested uh, as a 90s kid to see what they had to say about that, uh, that situation building into the new sequel later this year. As for us, we're still working our way through the final round of episodes as the Crooked Table podcast. Next week, Jason from Binge Movies will be joining us to talk about the Martin Scorsese classic Goodfellas. Uh, as I recall, that conversation goes all over the place from Goodfellas to uh, another movie that came out, I think, the same year that may or may not uh, be tied to the story uh, that's the basis for Goodfellas. So keep an eye out for that. Maybe some of you uh, Goodfellas aficionados know exactly what I'm talking about. But in the meantime, please find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, on Instagram with the same handle, and at CrookedTable.com. I've been Rob. Keep it crooked, everybody. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. Ha 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 ha!